you have your Bibles, open with me to Matthew 6. Uh, we're going to continue through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go through the first, uh, Lord willing, we're going to go through the first 18 verses tonight. And um, the Lord put some amazing things uh, before us. You're going to see this pattern as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. This, the Lord is continuing to build to his ultimate uh, point in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 23. 4 through 27 where the Lord talks about the wise man who builds on the rock and the foolish man who builds his, on the sand. And all of this applies to that, right? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is teaching believers how to live the Christian life. And what he desires for those who desire to live for his kingdom. And so uh, this is a message, this is a sermon, this is instruction from the Lord to his followers. And so prayerfully, that's you here tonight. But let's pray before we get into the message this evening. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we say that often, but we mean it. Lord, we would be so lost without our Bibles. Lord, we would be so lost in, within, within our own thoughts, Lord, if we didn't have uh, the treasure of your word to just quickly draw our minds back to truth. Lord, within our own emotions, Lord, our hearts that are so fickle would be invested into so many worthless things if we did not have your word to bring our hearts in subjection to. Lord, it is a, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And Lord, we pray that tonight, Lord, that you would just show us, uh, Lord, what you desire from us. Lord, help us not to be despisers of the small things in our life, Lord, the things you're putting in front of us, Lord, because they are the important things. So we ask for the leading of your spirit tonight, the illumination of your spirit, the inspiration of your spirit, and that we would leave here knowing that you have spoken to our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would be on display tonight and that you glorify yourself, that you draw us to yourself, Holy Spirit, that you magnify Jesus in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we continue through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord is continuing to make these contrasts. If you are here with us last week, we, we kind of wrapped up a section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus was taking uh, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders' interpretation of the law and comparing it with God's true meaning and true desire um, of the law. Uh, tonight, the Lord is taking us through uh, this, this contrast of what our Christian experience and the expression of our devotion to Jesus is supposed to look like um, as it contrasts to the religious leaders who the Lord would later call hypocrites, right? He would say, you, you're, you're like whitewashed tombs. Um, outside you're clean, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. Uh, you're hypocrites. On the outside of the dish is clean, but inside it is full of filthiness. So the Lord uses these men who are supposed to be the example of what righteousness is uh, to teach us and to teach his followers actually what righteousness is not. Because we know what the Bible tells us. The Bible says that God does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
What the Lord is really putting before us tonight is motives. Motives in our good deeds, motives in our prayer life, and motives in our fasting. Motives in our relationship with God. Because there will, it be, a, there will be a day at the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ where all of our works will pass through the fire. And we will be tried as by the fire. And what comes out will be our reward. And it's not our, it's not our works that are going through the fire. It's the motive of our works. So the Lord puts these amazing things before us. Let's look into them uh, right now in verse 1 of chapter 6. He tells us to take heed. He, may, he says, really pay attention to what I'm about to say to you right now. I need you to get this. I need you to understand this. Uh, this is God in flesh telling us what God desires. So if we've ever been in a situation in your life of, Lord, what do you desire from me? I want to be pleasing to you. I want to live a life of obedience. I want to live a life that pleases you. Um, I don't want to be fake. I don't want to be hypocritical. I want to know what you desire. Well, it's before us right now. So he says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. This is uh, something that cuts across the pride of every man and woman here tonight. Uh, when you, when you do uh, what God is asking you to do, do it as unto the Lord and not unto man. The praise of man is always fleeting. It's always fickle. It will always fade. Because the Bible says our lives, every man, every woman, we, our life is like a wildflower. We spring up, we die, and our place is remembered no more. So don't do your good works before men to be seen by them. Notice, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. What I want you to, to note here is that there is something to be gained, but there's also something to be lost. There is eternal reward that is to be lost. There is the reward um, from God upon our lives that is to be lost when we do our charitable deeds, our works, for any other reason but to please the Lord. He's not saying do not do your works in a fashion that cannot be seen by men. You may be called into a sphere where your life is very public and your charitable deeds are very public, but God doesn't care about that. God cares about the motive of your heart while you are doing the charitable deed. Um, he says, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Another thing I want you to know at the top end of this portion is that we have a Father in heaven who desires to reward us. Sometimes we have such a faulty perspective and perception of who God is. I love what the Lord is doing here in ascribing um, the fatherhood of God in our lives. We need to have that perspective of him as we're doing charitable deeds unto our Father in heaven. He's going to say, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites, but pray to your Father who is in heaven. Your father who sees in secret 
will reward you openly. So uh, throughout this portion, he's going to refer to God as our Father, and this would drastically blow the minds of the religious leaders of the Jewish people because God was something that was so unattainable. And what the Lord is saying is um, he desires you to come to him and have this relationship with him in mind, that you're his child, that he's your father, that your father delight, a father delights in rewarding their children. A father doesn't take pleasure in the chastening of his child. He does it because he knows it's what's best. But what a father really loves to do is give a reward that is justly earned to their child. Because the heart of the father is pleased. So when you enter into ministry, you enter into service, you enter into an opportunity to do a charitable deed, the main motive in your heart, the main question in your heart is, am I doing this to please God? Because if you're not doing it supremely to please God, there's no reward in heaven. Your reward will be before men, and it will be fleeting. And it will come, and it will go, and you'll get before the bema seat, and you will have no reward for that deed that is done. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 2, he says, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed... Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory for men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. The religious leaders at that time, before they would do certain charitable deeds, they would sound a trumpet. They would make it very evident about what they're doing, much like so much philanthropic work that is done and posted all over social media. You have your reward. It's the same thing. It's wrapped in a different package, but make no mistake about it. It's the same thing. Don't be like them is what he's saying. I, I love when the Lord uh, puts things in front of us and he tells us what not to be like. Don't sound the trumpet before men so that you can receive praise and adoration so that people could say, you're so holy, you're so righteous, you're so pure. Because the truth is, you know you're not. This is the result. What the Lord is talking about is living a life of brokenness before God. Not living a life of self-righteousness. Because the person who does their charitable deed as unto the Lord knows that they are an unprofitable servant at best. That within them no good thing dwells. As Paul would say, I'm the chiefest of all sinners. I'm undeserving of the least of his mercies, and yet he is bestowing upon me an opportunity for eternal reward. He's bestowing upon me an opportunity to bring pleasure to his heart. When you have an opportunity to do a charitable deed, or the Lord gives you a desire to do a charitable deed, what the Lord is really giving you is an opportunity to be rewarded. Furthermore, what he's giving you is an opportunity to please him. To please him. And there's nothing greater than having a child who desires to please the heart of the father. Not for acceptance from the father. Understand this. You're not doing your charitable deeds to be accepted by the father. You're his child. You can't be more accepted. You've been accepted into the beloved. You're doing your charitable deeds to please the father. 
He says in verse 3, But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He's saying you should seek to be discreet about this. You should actually be fearful of losing your reward from the Lord and gaining a reward for man. Don't let, you should be intentional about not letting people know what you're doing for the Lord. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Verse 4, that your charitable deed may be, may be in secret. And your father, underline this, who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. The Bible tells us that everything lays naked and open before the Lord. That hell and destruction are before the eyes of the Lord. How much more so the hearts of the sons of men. The Lord doesn't just see what you do, but he sees the motive of why you do what you do. And that is a fearful thing. The Lord, nothing, is, nothing escapes his gaze. You can fool people, but you can't fool God. You can fool those closest to you, but you can't fool God. So the, ama- the amazing thing is that the Lord sees those things that are done in secret, but notice this promise, will himself reward you openly. You want to receive blessings upon your life? Be obedient. There's no blessings apart from obedience. There's no power apart from obedience. There is no reward apart from obedience. So notice, when you are seeking to do your, thing, you do your charitable deeds before the Lord, know that he's going to, he's going, the Lord always, throughout Scripture, Jesus himself, throughout the Gospels, overwhelmingly affirms his rewards to faithfulness. Before the children of Israel were going to go into the promised land, in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord puts before them blessings and cursings. And he says, choose life. Choose the blessing. I want to bless you. Your Father in heaven wants to bless you. He wants to bestow reward upon you. And if you want to be rewarded openly, do things to please his heart secretly. And if what you do just so happens to be seen by men, then it so happens to be seen by men. But the heart that is rightly related to God is not concerned with that. Not concerned with how people view them. Not concerned of how people view their charitable deed. You're doing it as unto the Lord. And when you do everything as unto the Lord, you have peace before God and man. Sometimes a charitable deed can just be done, something be done in the home. But are you looking for opportunity to do charitable deed and, and, and to do it as unto the Lord? When you walk into your house tonight, when you look for these opportunities for these things, and you ask the Lord, Lord, show me what I can do in secret that would be pleasing to your heart, you will be amazed of the opportunity that's all around you. But where the question of the Lord cuts deep is, is that, are you content with that? Are you content to do this secretly, or do you want everyone to know what you're doing? And will you only do things as, as unto the Lord when you're seen by men? Or will you be content to work in the shadows? That's what a servant is. 
A servant doesn't seek to be seen. A servant is content to work in the shadows. And yet he is relating us, though he is Father, he is also Lord. He's giving us this understanding of this relationship that he desires, this opportunity that is giving, and his heart that desires to bless. So when you do good deeds, charitable deeds, do not do it to be seen by men, or you have no reward, but don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. And notice what he says. He says, and when you pray. Notice, he doesn't say if you pray. He's going to say in verses 16 through 18, when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast. Charitable deeds, works done unto the Lord, prayer and fasting should all be, um, should all be taking place in your relationship with the Lord. He says, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. We need to stop at these first four words in verse 5 and ask ourselves, do we pray? What is the condition of your prayer life? I'm not... First of all, whenever I speak on prayer, I feel ill-equipped to do so because I don't think you ever reach the depths of prayer. I don't think we ever arrive to the prayer life that God desires for us. I think a prayer life is something that we grow into. But we should be praying. You shouldn't be in this room tonight if you're a believer and, and say to yourself, I don't even remember the last time I prayed. That's a problem. No prayer, no power. Um, no prayer, no relationship with God. Prayer is the most powerful divine resource that has been bestowed upon you and I. We have not because we ask not. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Verse 6, but you, again, here's this word, when you pray, I love how practical the Lord is about this. He's presupposing that we already have a prayer life. We're committed to a life of prayer. We're committed to having conversation with God continually. The Lord tells us through the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, to pray without ceasing. That, that literally means to never stop praying. Our whole life should be one continual prayer. We should be constantly aware of the presence of God in our life. And when our mind is not on the Lord, we should be mindful to quickly bring our minds back to the Lord. While you're talking to, to people, you should have the ability to be communicating with God. While I'm teaching, I have the ability to communicate with God in prayer. Because prayer transcends everything. It is prayer and, and reading of His Word is relationship with God. He's so practical here. When you pray, go in your room. 
Again, the Lord never asks us to do something that he himself didn't model. You remember Mark chapter 1, after he got done healing all night, preaching the kingdom, casting out demons. The Bible says he was up late into the evening hours, and it says that he arose a long while before it was yet day, and he sought a quiet place to go and pray. Luke chapter 6 says that he did the same thing. Let us go to a deserted place so we could pray. Right When he sent the disciples across the Sea of Galilee, what did he do? He continued in prayer all night with the Father. The Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying. And it says, as it was his custom. The disciples saw something different in the prayer life of Jesus. Something was different about his prayer life. So much so that they would ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. They never said, teach us to preach. They never said, teach us how to cast out demons. They said, teach us to pray. The Lord lived out what he is teaching us. When you pray, go in your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will, again, reward you openly. There is nothing uh, more amazing in all of your Christian experience than answered prayer. To know and to believe that you have a God that sees and hears and acts on behalf of the one who seeks him. Isn't it amazing to you? I I will never completely understand it. And I don't think we're meant to. But we have a God, the God of the universe, the one who spoke the world into existence, obligates himself to our prayers. Our prayers have the ability to move the hand of God. If we prayed more, we would experience the Lord work more in our life. If we prayed more, we'd see his hand more clearly. The Bible, Jesus told us, when you pray, he spoke a parable to them in Luke 18. He said, he spoke this parable in Luke 18 that man ought to always pray and not lose heart. Why? Because we lose heart in prayer. Perhaps you're here tonight and you've been praying over and over and over about something specific in your life. And you've just found yourself, as you're looking back on it, you've just stopped. Why? Because prayer is spiritual work. Satan hates when you pray. He knows the power of prayer. He tries to blind you to the power of prayer. If we're not believing in the power of prayer, if we're not believing in the God who asks us to seek him, and that obligates him, who obligates himself to our prayers, who longs to respond to our prayers, if we're not believing, our prayers have no power. That's why the Bible tells us in James 5, 17 and 18 that the effective and fervent prayers of a righteous man avail much. It goes on to say that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was just like us, but what? But he prayed. He was a praying man. And prayer is something that you grow into. There should be a secret place in all of our lives that we seek the Father in. We should all have a prayer closet. Or somewhere, your car. Somewhere where you are alone with God. You should be, what this tells me, is the Lord is asking us to be intentional in our prayer lives about seeking out the quiet place, the secret place, and praying honestly. 
we should be seeking this. This should be real in our lives. There should be a desire in all of us to get alone with the Lord. And, and perhaps you have a lot of confusion in your life because you're neglecting this. Don't be discouraged about it. There's never a, com- a con- condemning voice of the Lord saying, you need to pray more. No, he's, he's, he's begging you, come. Come, be alone with me. It's not this uh, finger of God condemning your lack of prayer. It's the arms of God inviting you. Please, come. All those who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. Learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You'll find rest for your souls. Many of us are carrying burdens the Lord has not asked us to carry. The Bible says to cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Continually casting your cares on him. And what, is so, what so often happens in our own prayer life is that We cast the care upon the Lord and the care comes back to us. And we cast it again and it comes back to us. And you say, Lord, I'm trying to give this to you. But the more I try to give it to you, the more my mind is anxious about it. But what are you doing? You're engaging in continued prayer. You're seeking the Lord. This is what seeking God looks like. But every time the care comes back to you, it's refined. So you may enter into a a great trial in your life and your prayer may be, uh, Lord, show me how to get out of this. Show me how to navigate the way through this. And as you keep on seeking him and you keep bringing your confusion to him, what he's going to really reveal to you is perhaps your lack of trusting in his ability to actually shepherd your life. So your understanding of him becomes refined. And then your trial changes. Because you're growing in the knowledge of who he is, you receive truth. And the Bible says you'll know the truth, the truth will make you free. And so the trial no, no longer uh, is crushing us and destroying us. It's actually building up and refining us. And we begin to um, thank the Lord for the situation that he put us in that caused us to seek the secret place. We need these in our life, right, because we are prone to wander. We're prone to seek him with all intensity when we are hedged in and we don't know what to do and we need provision and we're broken internally and we need the Lord to meet us and we're seeking him and seeking him and seeking him and then he touches our lives and he moves and then we slowly, gradually forget about him. We are so much like the people of Israel. The Lord promises to meet the heart of the honest seeker. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. Jeremiah 29, 13. So he puts us in situations that make us seek him in the secret place. But if we would be consistent in the secret place, if we would uh, be disciplined in the secret place, we would press on this through this constant life of failure and begin to live a life of victory. Um, I want to say something just by means of of practicality because sometimes I think that uh, we come to our prayer life and we think that we need to get all our praying done in the secret place all at once. That's not true. There should be a time of, of praise and petition and intercession But it doesn't all need to happen at the moment that you have time in your secret place. Our whole life should pray. 
And what do I mean by that? That prayer should be as natural as breathing. Prayer should be as natural as a conversation on a road with your friend. Because his, the reality of his presence should be that real to us. Right? In, in Colossians, Colossians 4, Paul talks about Epaphroditus who always labored in prayer for the church. Intercession is work. It's labor. Prayer and petition and praise, that is you bringing your heart before the Lord. So whether it is your intercession or your petitioning God for your needs, we need to seek the secret place. We need to have a time alone in our day where it's you and Him and you're bringing your heart before Him and you're giving Him time to speak. If we neglect this, we neglect the opportunity for answered prayer. If we neglect this, we neglect the opportunity to experience the power of prayer. Because what is the purpose of prayer? The purpose of prayer is to have our hearts so rightly aligned with the heart of God that we're praying correctly, thus receiving answers. Notice verse 7. He says, and when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Notice it's not the, the amount of words you pray, it's the, it's the condition of your heart when you pray. You remember Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 2, he prayed a very short prayer in between the question of the king and his answer. You remember Peter when he was sinking in the stormy sea of Galilee, he says, Lord, save me. Really short prayer, but no doubt had the answer of God, and the Lord saves him. When you pray, don't use vain repetitions, as we see some um, denominations use, some sects of Christianity use, as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. And underline this. This should be something in your Bible that you hope in. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask of them. So why ask? If He knows, why ask? Um, one, because we're not a, truly aware of our real need. And as we bring our need, things we think we need to Him, the revelation of the real need is made known to you. Uh, second, because it is the things that we need that we don't have that bring us the most amount of anxiety in our life. And the Lord cares about the things that cause you anxiety. God cares about the things that you care about. And he wants you to walk away from your time alone with him just assured of the reality that he knows your needs. That you, I, I, I'm so thankful that we don't serve a God who we, need to make, who we need to inform. We don't need to inform him of our lack. He knows it. But what does this do? It keeps us abiding in relationship with Jesus. Jesus would say in John chapter 15, 
Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That's really in the Bible. <laughs> the, the Lord really desires to answer your prayers. And sometimes we say, man, Lord, I don't know if this is your, your will for my life. But the Bible tells us that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Meaning you walk closely to the heart of God. You can, you can, if you're abiding in Christ... You can trust that he is sifting through your desires, he's taking yours out, he's giving you his, and thus you're praying according to his will, and you can trust and believe that he doesn't just care, but that he acts. He doesn't just hear, but he responds. He doesn't just see, he performs, he answers. He, he delights to give good things to those who ask him. The Bible says that he will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly with him. But we should, we should have confidence in prayer. Sometimes we, we think we serve a God that is, is, is malicious and unkind and doesn't want us, doesn't, just, just wants to keep us stringing, wants to keep stringing us along and not responding to our prayers, but nothing could be further from the truth. He delights to answer the prayers of his people. You tell me in one place of scripture where you see the heart of one honest seeker leave the presence of God with their petition not answered. You won't find it. Whether it was the woman with the issue of blood or, what, or it was even from the beginning, from, the, from Abraham to the children of Israel when they were in bondage for 400 years and the Lord responding to their prayers and, and sending Moses. What, what, what did God say when Moses says, who, who should I say sent me? Tell him, I am sent you. I am the all-becoming one. I am the one who will be whatever you need me to be when you need me to be it. I've heard their cry. I see their affliction and I've sent you to deliver them. He sees, he hears, he delivers, he acts, he responds. He makes your need known to you so that you can pray according to his will, so that he could respond to you. He creates this holy discontentment in your heart that makes you seek him. And you will find that he was seeking you before you ever sought him. He knows what you have need of before you ask. This, this brings me so much comfort. This gives me so much hope. That, Lord, you know my need. And you will actually, because there's times where we can all be honest if you've walked with the Lord. You, you've lived in this experience with the Lord where you're frustrated because you think you, you need something only to be revealed that, that the Lord just allowed you to feel that, to reveal to you, no, you, you don't actually need that. And me withholding that from you was actually my, my grace at work in your life. There are so many prayers that I'm so thankful that the Lord did not answer. Well, he did answer. He said no. But I'm so thankful that he didn't give me what I prayed for. All of you who um, are married, aren't, aren't you so thankful that he didn't give you the one that you were praying for <laughs> before you married your wife? I, two hands up. I am. I praise God for that. I praise God that he is wise enough not to, to give me what I want, but to give me what I need. And he's glorified in that. 
And we submit to his wisdom. Lord, you're so wise, you're so good, you're so kind that even when I'm praying to you and I'm praying honestly and I'm praying genuinely, you're wise enough to withhold this only so that you can give this, that you can give what's best. Doesn't he say in Luke 11, if your earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? If you ask for uh, bread, he's not going to give you a stone. If you, he's not going to give you things to hurt you or hinder you. He's going to give you his best. He wants his best for you. And we should refuse to settle for less than his best. We should be content and surrendered enough and relinquishing our own perception of what we think we need to him. And we should be bold enough to pray and trusting enough to pray as Jesus prayed, not my will be done, but your will be done. He says in verse 9, he tells us, in this manner pray. He doesn't say to repeat this a hundred times a day. He says in this, he's giving us a pattern for prayer. In this manner, therefore, pray, says our Father. We have to kind of walk through this slowly. I'm going to resist the temptation to teach this in depth right now. But we have to go through this rather slowly because he's, he's teaching us. He's coming down to our level and he's teaching us to pray how he prayed. Our Father. Guys, we, we have to have a correct perception of God. Satan goes to such great lengths to slander the character of God in your mind. Because if he can slander the goodness, the love, the kindness, the wisdom of God in your mind, you're not going to trust him. You're going to have a faulty perception of God. The most important thing about you is what you think about God. We need to think rightly about him. We need to know doctrine. We know, need to, these are big words. We need to know theology. That, sh- that shouldn't scare us. That should encourage us. We need to know who God is. We should know his character. We should know that he's good. We should know that he is wise. We should know that he is our father. But unfortunately, a lot of us haven't had the best fathers. Our fathers, even the best father, is imperfect. And we relate God to our earthly fathers and we say our earthly fathers let us down. And of course they did. They're men. I tell my daughters all the time, I will fail you a lot. I'm a rookie. I'm trying to figure this out. Forgive me. But he is not like that. He is our heavenly father. He is perfect. He is always wise. He only does what is good. He only operates with your highest good and the production of his glory in your life. He's your heavenly father. He is perfect in all of his ways. His ways are past finding out. He's kind and he's good. He's perfect. He is your father in heaven. He's your father in heaven. He has the heart of a father. And what is the role of a father? It is the protector. It is the provider of the home. He wants to protect. He wants to provide. A good father produces security in the heart of children. A good father produces security in the heart of his children. Just so much so as our perfect heavenly father should produce security in our heart. 
I don't know, but I have a Father in heaven who does. And I trust him because he sent his son for me so that I can be won back to him. There's an old hymn called, the name of it is, You Can Trust the One Who Died for You. You can trust him. He never has not kept a promise. He's never been unfaithful. He's never been unwilling. He is your Father who is in heaven. And notice this progression. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be what? Your name. He is uh, the Lord our shepherd. He is the Lord our peace. He is the Lord our banner. And we can go on and on and on about the names of God. Hallowed be your name. I worship you. I worship your name because his character is wrapped up in his names. You know who prayed like this before this prayer was ever taught? It was David in the Psalms. You, you, you read the Psalms and there's so much worship and there's so much praise and there's so much adoration for who God actually is before the petition even comes, before the problem and anxiety of David's heart even comes. He's saying in Psalm 27, we all know it, we sing it here, the Lord is my light, he's my salvation, he's my rock, he's the strength of my life, he's my fortress, he's my hiding place. When you enter into prayer, enter, don't, don't rush in and out of prayer. Right? When, when, when we think about prayer, the Bible says that we have been granted access by faith into the presence of God. Right? In Revelation chapter 5, we have this image of the throne room of God where thousands upon thousands and ten thousands of angels are worshiping the Lord and saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. Worthy is the Lamb who, is to, who was slain, who was and is and who is to come. And yet it's this scene that we get to run into and jump on his lap and ask him for whatever we want. The problem is, is at times we, we, we run into this place unreverently and we do ourselves a disservice because we're not aware of who he is. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Notice, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to check our hearts when we come into the presence of God and say, Lord, I'm being honest with you, Lord. (laughs) I want my will more than I want yours. Don't, Don't come into prayer with pretense. Sometimes we, we can pray, Lord, I, I love you, Lord, and thank you, Lord, and you're really, you really don't love him and you're really not thankful. It would be better to just enter into his presence and say, Lord, you know my lack of love for you, but you know I have a desire to love you more. Will you help me? Lord, you know I really want this to work out in my life, but Lord, Please help me to desire your will above my own and trust that your will is wiser. We can, if you have ever just sat with this, you could spend hours praying this way. You could spend hours just worshiping the names of God for who he is. You could spend hours just 
bringing your heart before the Lord and saying, Lord, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, and Lord, Lord, I want to want your will. Help me want your will. Help me to have a heart that readily submits to your will once it's revealed. Help me to have a heart that delights to do your will, O Lord. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And notice he goes, all of this before there's even one petition. He says, give us this day our daily bread. I'm, I'm overwhelmingly humbled by that statement. Our daily bread. Because if we're honest, especially here in America, <laughs> we're not really praying for our daily bread. We're not actually worried about our daily bread. We're worried about tomorrow's bread <laughs> and next month's bread. And a year from now, what's going to happen? And 10 years from now, what's going to happen? And what's going to happen, right? Jesus is going to get to this in our study next week where he's going to say to you, don't worry about your life. What he's asking us to do is live, be content to live day by day with Jesus. That is, that is not the easiest thing to do. Give us, day, give us this day our daily bread. Give, help us, Lord, meet, meet our needs, Lord. I'm not asking for tomorrow's bread. I, I, just, I just need to know that you're going to provide for me today. I love this, this prayer in Proverbs 30, verse 8. You don't need to turn there. But it says, Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of our God. Be content to have your daily needs met. And if the Lord has... Uh, provided for you exceedingly and abundantly, if the Lord has given you resources that secures your uh, provision for tomorrow, steward that correctly because the Bible says that money makes wings and it flies away. Be thankful for the need that is met tonight. And you know what happens when you begin to pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, you begin to realize he's given you your daily bread. And what do we do? We praise him. We worship him. We thank him. And it's like the 31st and tomorrow is the first and we don't have rent, but it's not tomorrow yet. That's the kind of faith he desires. Because he always meets our daily needs. And if he doesn't meet our daily needs, you're not in his will. And he will allow your lack of daily need to force you into his will. He's so good. We never go without. Verse 12, he says, And forget us, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is not the easiest thing to live out practically. It's easy to ask the Lord to forgive our debts when we're indebted to him. It's another thing to forgive our debtors. We're going to be done wrongly in this life. But what did the Lord say in chapter 5? 
turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. Lord, it's, it's easy to forgive people their debts when you're aware of your own and his ability and his willingness and the finality of his forgiveness in your life. And he says in verse 13, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The weakness of the flesh and the presence of the enemy are going to be real in our life. He says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we are supposed to pray in this manner. He says in verse 14, he says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. And you say, this is, a, this is a weird place for that to take place. It kind of seems out of context. It seems kind of a, a different topic that the Lord is going through. I believe the, that the Lord said this because much of our prayers are hindered by our lack of forgiveness for others. For if, you're fa- if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He says in verse 16, moreover, again, he says, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. As surely I say to you, they have their reward. It was not uncommon for people when they fasted to put on sackcloth and ashes and to not bathe and to not shave and to not look presentable. So people would ask them, what's wrong with you? So that then they could respond, oh, I'm fasting before the Lord right now to appear righteous before men. He says, don't be be a hypocrite. He says, verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you openly. If there's one question that that comes in pretty frequently here to the chapel, it it is about this. It is about fasting. How do you fast? I'm going to recommend a resource. Um, If you have questions about fasting, read God's Chosen Fast. And it's it's not a book so much that you you can. It's, It's not a book that you so much sit down and read in one sitting. But it's more of a resource to to just have at your disposal. Because notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, if you fast. Again, he says, when you fast. When you fast. Fasting should be a real experience for the Christian. And sometimes we think we need to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Don't do that. And don't fast if you can't fast. Um, um, like if, if the doctor, if, you're, if you have a condition where you can't fast, don't fast. The Lord's not condemning you for that. But you can fast other things. Sometimes we think we need to just fast food. I challenge you to fast from social media till next Thursday. That's a fast. I challenge you to fast from a relationship that the Lord is asking you to put on the altar. It's not just food. But I also challenge you to fast a meal a day. 
and spend that time seeking the heart of God. The purpose of fasting is the denial of, of a fleshly want and a need for the purpose of pursuing the heart of God. Read Isaiah chapter 58. It'll give you some clarity into fasting. We should fast. There's multiple reasons why we fast. There's fasting to be heard by the Lord. It is the posture of the heart to uh, show the Lord that you are, you, are inten- you, you, are, you, you are intentional about this petition. Right? Jesus, when he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and the disciples couldn't cast out the demon and they asked why and he said, well, this kind doesn't come, up, come out except for with prayer and fasting. There is a spiritual power that's to be obtained in the denial of the flesh. Um, but ultimately, it's to know the heart of God more. It's saying, Lord, I'm going to deny some fleshly desire of, me, of, my, of my heart so that I can give myself to seeking you. You look throughout the Bible. Um, I mean, time fails me to mention all the people who sought the Lord with prayer and fasting and had their petitions answered. Again, you don't, fasting doesn't make you spiritual. That's the, that's the text here tonight. But fasting should be real in your experience with the Lord. It, c- it could be fasting instead of going out to lunch with your friends. You're actually eating your lunch and spending time with Jesus. You'd be fasting from that time with them. But there is something in, in Scripture that, that is very intentional about fasting from food. From the, the body's need for food with the intention of seeking God. And it's all a matter of the heart. And that's what the Lord is putting before us tonight. When you do your good deeds, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't, don't do good deeds to be seen by men. The Lord knows the motive of your heart. Uh, your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When you pray, go into your secret place and your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you openly. When you fast, Do it in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. There is something to this secret heart, posture, relationship, pursuit of Jesus. Christianity in its purest form is this deep love relationship that nobody really sees. I don't think you can adequately express the work that's taking place in your heart before men because it's not meant to be. You may feel like you're in a marriage and your wife doesn't understand you. Or you're trying to explain yourself to someone for counsel and you, and you can't adequately put into words what you're feeling and what you're going through. And it is in that secret place that the Lord wants to enter into. Because the Bible tells us that no one knows the things of man except for the spirit of man that is in him. There are things in your life that you cannot adequately express. But God knows those things. The Holy Spirit knows those things. And he is operating on your behalf, read 1 Corinthians 2, to reveal the heart of God to you. And when does that take place? When you're doing your charitable deeds before the Lord. And you know what that is? worship when you're praying in the secret place you're aware that that he's seeing and he's meeting when you're fasting in secret 
You're, aware, you're just aware of his presence and you're content with him. And you know what that allows you to do? It allows you to be effective in the lives of others because you know that your father is seeing in secret and he's rewarding you openly. It allows you to be an effective friend, an effective uh, servant, an effective spouse, an effective brother or sister or whatever because your need is being met. The deep inward need of your heart is being met on a continual basis. But know that when you make this commitment that every force of Satan is going to come to oppose that because he's set on your destruction and he doesn't want to just divide your heart before with from people he wants to divide your heart between your heart and God that is his goal so he goes to work on your mind and that's when we need to submit our thoughts to the truth of scripture Lord I don't feel like you're good I don't think you're good. In fact, the circumstances of my life, in my estimation, prove that you're not. But I know that's not true. So help me to believe. And stand on the truth of your word that proclaims your goodness endures to all generations. And then walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time that you've given us, Lord. Lord, I, Lord, especially thankful that your word says that you're for us. Help us to believe it. Lord, we are fools and we are slow of heart to believe. We're no different than the disciples, Lord. Lord, thank you for your long-suffering with us. Cleanse us from our sins. Bless this evening, Lord. Uh, keep us safe as we leave from here. Um, give us an a unquenchable desire for you. Teach us how to pray. Make us praying people. Make us people who want to walk with you in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.